This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of News and Views. Today's program is chock full of information for you. We're going to spend a few minutes and break down what's happening in Washington, D.C., unpacking for you the various uh, transportation funding packages, giving you detailed information you may not get anywhere else. Then we've got a great newsmaker interview with Carl Gannat, Managing Director of the Champaign-Urbana Mass Transportation Mass Transit District about their new hydrogen fuel for buses and the new plant that they're going to be unveiling coming up in early October. And then we're going to take a look at the future of our podcast here and some of the new things we have coming up right around the corner for you to really improve even what we're bringing you now. Trapeze has been bringing you for the last three and a half, almost four years now, this podcast. And we're planning to expand into video. We'll tell you about that at the end of today's program. Make sure you stay tuned to listen to that. And now let's head to Washington, D.C. and other headlines around the globe. As you know, the COVID pandemic brought much financial relief from Washington, D.C. here in the United States for transit agencies as the government pumped unprecedented amounts of funding out to transit agencies around the country to help make up for lost fare box revenue and increased costs of operating. Agencies also used these funds to improve operations for a post-pandemic world. Public transit systems are utilizing these emergency COVID-19 funds that were passed over the last two years. And according to APTA, as of September this month, the funds that were specifically set aside for transit have been used as such. 98% of the CARES Act, $25 billion, has been spent. That was as of March 2020. The CRISA Act, the Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act, which, which was weighted heavily toward the larger transit systems, they've spent 49% of that money that was enacted in December of 2020. And then finally, the America's Rescue Package, or the America Rescue Plans, ARP, $30.5 billion, which was enacted just this past March, has only had 20% drawn down. So there's still lots of funds available in the second and third packages of what has already been passed. In addition, the Federal Transit Administration has announced a notice of funding opportunity for $2.2 billion in competitive grant funding for public transit systems demonstrating additional pandemic-associated needs. Funding is provided by that last one I just mentioned, the American Rescue Plan of 2021, which was signed into law on March 11th. Applications for this grant opportunity, competitive grant, must be submitted electronically through grants.gov by November 8th at 11.59 p.m. These additional funding assistance from the ARP plan are to cover operating expenses related to maintaining day-to-day operations, cleaning and sanitation, combating the spread of pathogens on transit systems, and maintaining critical staffing levels. There's been a lot of action going on in Washington, D.C. over the last few weeks when it comes to transit funding, and they are going to continue to be active over the next couple months. There basically are two large packages right now that are being considered by the U.S. Congress, which could assist transit agencies. First, there's the $1.2 trillion infrastructure package, which you've heard a lot about. That was bipartisan in nature. It's passed the Senate. Now we're looking to the House for action. And then there's the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation package. Although you could expect this price tag to come down based on recent comments from some Democratic senators. The House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure is working on that $3.5 trillion reconciliation package, and last week they voted to invest nearly $60 billion to make America's transit infrastructure more sustainable, resilient, and equitable, and to reduce carbon pollution from the transportation sector. Specifically, the committee's title of the Budget Reconciliation Act, or Build Back Better Act, creates a new innovative program to provide $10 billion for competitive grants for public transit access to affordable housing 
and to enhance mobility for low-income riders and residents of disadvantaged communities. According to APTA, the bill also provides $10 billion to plan and construct high-speed rail and $150 million to better leverage innovative financing tools for high-speed rail projects. Now, the other big funding, as I mentioned, is the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, known as the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. This legislation, which passed the U.S. Senate in early August and may pass the House by later this month, includes the Five-Year Surface Transportation Authorization Act. So they've combined it. The Infrastructure Act includes our Five-Year Reauthorization Act. And the Reauthorization Act has significant increases for public transit, total of $107 billion, and passenger and freight rail at $102 billion. Coupled with the increased funding, the bill also restores the 20% share for bus capital grants. Remember how we were working to get that? People in the industry have been working, the bus coalition and others have been working to get back to that 20%. Well, it's, it's basically backed in this new bill. If it passes, President Biden is expected to sign it into law. The Senate version includes, get this, transit increases of 43% above baseline. The transit title sees an increase of 43% above baseline levels for contract authority for $69.9 billion over the next five years. When combined with the supplemental appropriations for transit, the package provides an 83% increase in transit funding compared to FAST Act levels, which was the, you know, the last reauthorization act. This includes a 172% increase in 5339 funding uh, from 808 million to 2.2 billion. 5339B grants are preserved and increased. The annual authorized funding increases by 43% and stays available for bus replacement for all fuel sources. And the low no has an increase in set aside. The bill provides over a billion dollars per year for the 5339C low no program and requires at least 25% of all low no grants to go to low emission projects such as CNG, RNG, et cetera. As noted, this bill includes a 43% increase in our regular Formula 5307 funds, which can be used for capital or operating assistance in urbanized areas. Uh, very exciting. Uh, the, and there's also opportunities to fund grant funding for capital projects to replace, rehabilitate, and purchase buses, vans, and related equipment to construct bus-related facilities, including technological changes or innovations to modify low and no emission vehicles or facilities. So that's the five minute roundup, so to speak, of what's happening in Washington, DC with all these infrastructure bills happening. Now, a look around the world, lots of interesting things happening. Speaking of investment in transit, the nation of Brazil, you remember we recently, uh, just a couple months ago, had two long form interview shows with leaders in transit in Brazil. Well, their Ministry of Infrastructure is assessing applications by four companies to build 10 new lines totaling 3,300 kilometers, representing an investment of over $10 billion U.S. This follows the signing of a new pro-rail law by the country's president, Mr. Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro, together with the infrastructure minister, have declared September as the month of rail following the introduction of the new pro-rail law designed to simplify and accelerate the process of building new lines. Our good friend, Marcelo Brava, would be happy to hear that. Director of Infrastructure said, we're making a railway revolution, the biggest in the last 100 years. How about that? Uh, great news out of there. Also, coming out of uh, London, England, where our friend Andy Byford is the Commissioner of Transportation for Transport for London. As you know, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, oversees TFL, and he says that TFL buses will be carbon neutral as the United Kingdom prepares to host COP26. TFL said in a statement, by the end of next year, or 2022, 10% of London's bus network will be zero emission, as the network has committed to ordering only zero emission buses when buying new buses for its fleet going forward. 
The Mayor Khan's commitment to make the entire fleet of buses zero emission by 2037 has also been brought forward by three years to 3034. So big news out of London for that. Finally, back here in the U.S., to New York City Transit, where Mr. Byford was the head of transit. Well, they are seeing new records in ridership post-pandemic. Nearly 3 million people rode the subway late last week, shattering the previous pandemic era high, which was set on Monday of last week. Between subways and buses, the New York City Transit surpassed the 4 million mark for the first time since the pandemic. And commuter railroad ridership, which as you know, has been lagging behind, continues an upward trajectory as well. So great news out of you know the nation's biggest city that does public transportation. You know, they represent, prior to COVID, they represented close to 40% of all transit rides in the country. And uh, they are seeing an increase. And finally, a look at CEO news. Yulois Kleckley has been named director and CEO of Miami-Dade County's Department of Transportation and Public Works. He previously led the creation and was the executive director of the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure for the city and county of Denver. Congratulations to Mr. Kleckley as the new head of transit in one of the nation's biggest cities, Miami. That's it for our headline news. Now stay tuned for our Newsmaker interview. And remember, listen to the whole podcast today because we have breaking news about this podcast coming at the end of the show. This is Transit Unplugged. And today we're excited to have with us Carl Natt, who is Managing Director of Champaign-Urbana Mass Transit District as our Newsmaker interview on the special technology tech segment. Carl, thanks so much for being with us today. Happy to be here. Yeah, this is an exciting day for you coming up uh, over the next month or two. You've got some really big things happening, and we're excited to have you talk about them, and it all revolves around zero-emission buses and hydrogen fuel. Tell us some about your agency and what you all are doing there. Sure. We are the transit district in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, so we provide all the bus service for the community, but also Um, the University of Illinois, uh, premier Big Ten school. And uh, we've been we've been providing the the university service since 1989. The students pay a a mandatory student fee and they get universal access to the entire system as a result of that. So they're they're a big part of what we do. And tell us about your system, the scope of what you provide, you know, buses and et cetera, fixed route. Yeah, yeah, we're we're fixed route. We have uh, 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 a couple of varieties of microtransit uh, on-demand uh, service. We do an overnight um, safe rides for for students, but in some lower demand areas around the community, we also do some on-demand service um, to connect with the fixed route service uh, there. And um, then, of, of course, we do ADA service. But we also operate the county service, the rural service that is outside of our district, but in the rest of the county. We're, we're a contractor for the county. And how do you do the microtransit? Is that something you do yourselves or you contract out? We do it ourselves. Um, we wanted to be in control of it. We wanted to be able to count the ridership. We wanted to have access to all the data and, and all of that. And, and so we do it in-house. And uh, speaking of ridership, what was your ridership pre-pandemic on your system and where is it now, you know, in late September of 2021? So pre-pandemic, we were uh, in the 12 to 13 million rides per year uh, category. And uh, last year we we ran about 8 million. Okay. Uh, so so we, we took a hit, um, but, but we're coming back strong. We're not back uh, to where we were pre-pandemic, but uh, I think we're only down about uh, 14, 13 or 14% right now. 
and college is back in session and students are riding again and all that. All the students are back. Everybody's back. Yeah. So uh, starting last month in August, our, our ridership jumped back up. All right. So now let's flip to the topic du jour. Uh, your transit district is uh, moving forward with zero emission buses and um, renewable hydrogen generated by solar energy. I'm so excited about this. Tell us all about it. So we're excited also. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we've got the buses uh, on the property. We're training our, our operators. These are 60 foot articulated hydrogen fuel cell electric buses. And we are commissioning our hydrogen production station and that should be ready to go in the next week or two. And um, we are powering all of our hydrogen production. 100% of our hydrogen production is solar powered. So when people talk about uh, zero emission, you know, um, there's zero emission at the bus and then there's real zero emission. And we're doing real zero emission because at no point will, will we be burning fossil fuels um, to, to power these, these vehicles. So to us, that, that's really exciting. Yeah, that's amazing, Carl. So um, let's back up a little bit and give us a little history. How did you all get into this? How much of your fleet are you moving? You know, give us some of that info, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yep. So we, we've got 117 buses and, and we've got two of these articulated um, fuel cell vehicles. So uh, we're, it's a small pilot program right now, um, but the station that we that we are commissioning will be able to fuel up to 12 or 15 buses, depending on the 40 to 60 footer mix that we have. And um, then, then, of course, we can expand the station uh, at, after that when when and if we want to. Um, so the, the decision matrix for us was we wanted to accomplish three things. One is we, we wanted to have zero emission, but we wanted to have true zero emission. Um, we wanted to reduce or eliminate our dependency on fossil fuels. And primarily, we want to have zero emission without impacting our service. In other words, we want to plan our routes and schedules for the needs of the community, not the needs of the vehicles. And battery electric, there's a place for battery electric, um, but you, you, you know you're you're charging them at night, and uh, you're probably on the grid like we are, and so you're not really truly zero emission. Um, but in addition to that, uh, you know the range just isn't there yet, and and so you you are having to um, you can only use those vehicles on, on certain routes, and, and and or you're you're ref configuring your, your your routes and schedules to accommodate the vehicle. We didn't want to do that. We, we want to have the service that our community wants and needs. Hydrogen does that. It's got the range that's equivalent to a diesel bus, and uh, it's got the fueling time that is equivalent to a diesel bus. And so that it hit all the check boxes for us. Interesting. And tell me about the political support and um, how, you know how did you actually make this happen? You have a board of directors and Walk us through how all that happened, and then I want to go into the what's happening in Washington and how you all were involved in that. Some, so it, it's been a process. Uh, you know, there's a lot of education that has to happen with, with hydrogen fuel cell. Um, it's not as prolifer proliferated as battery electric, so there's there's some misunderstanding, there's some fear, uh, and, and you've got to power through all of that. Not only with uh, legislators and funding mechanisms, but with our own board as well. So we spent a couple of years working on that. And uh, once people really started to understand the concept and how it works, um, then, then it, it became pretty easy. So we applied for a, a LONO grant, 
that was the seed money for the project. And um, we are using state funds and local funds uh, for, the, for the rest of the cost. Um, it, it, there is an expensive upfront cost. We, we did not have a gaseous fuel before, so we had to put in um, leak detectors and air handling equipment that we didn't have before in our facility, and then build the station and, of course, buy the buses. Did the Lono grant into the fund, did that actually pay for the plant itself as well as the vehicles? No, unfortunately, it, it, I mean, it was important to get, but it, it did not cover uh, that that much of the cost. It, it was about uh, 20% of the overall cost that we okay. got. Um, but we did use some of our 5307 funds also to, to uh, fill in some of the gap there. But the state, the state carried the majority of it. The state uh, dollars covered 65% of the cost. And do you know what the total cost was to actually build the plant, kind of for comparison purposes for people if they're interested in doing their own? Yeah, it's just north of $8 million. And then the the vehicles were about a million and a half each. And so I'm a real big advocate for this because I want more people to buy fuel cell buses to bring the cost down. down, Right. And uh, have you done an analysis, I'm sure you have, of long-term operating costs uh, comparing, you know, that to diesel or battery electric, et cetera. Yeah, we're in the process of doing that now. Um, it, it, it's it's pretty difficult to get that um, until you actually have a you run it right an yeah. operation. Yeah, but we've looked at what AC Transit did. Uh, AC Transit did a, uh, had a great program. They bought ten uh, battery electric and then ten fuel cell electric, all new uh, all new flyer. They put them into service at the same time and then they compared uh, all ten side by side. And um, that, that's a great comparison because it, it, it shows pretty clearly that fuel cell electric buses operate um, more than battery electric. Uh, battery electric buses are down for problems more frequently than fuel cell electric are. And um, they're, they're more efficient in the long run. Interesting. Now, are you going to sell hydrogen onto the market like my friend Lawrence Skyver is doing at Sunline? Or are you just going to save the hydrogen for your your buses? We can sell it. And, and until we have enough buses where we're using all of the hydrogen that we produce, we, we certainly could do that. Um, we don't have anybody uh, on the line right now to, to buy, but uh, we're certainly able to do that. California is a little bit of a different animal because they actually have members of the public who have cars that are oh, fuel yeah. cell electric cars. And yeah. we don't have that in Illinois because there's no existing structure for fueling. And on the balance side, I mean... I know that you're you're looking at compare. Do you have other battery electric buses in your fleet that you can compare to? We don't. Okay. Because I know that you know I, I'm I have a lot of contacts in the electric bus industry, and I think they would um they would differ with some of your opinions on you know the efficacy of using it and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, I think both of them are great, but I'm super excited about what you're doing here. And you're going to cut the ribbon on Thursday, October 14th, 2021, at 9 a.m. on your new plant and on the whole thing. Is that the game plan? That is, yes. Yeah. And you worked in Washington, D.C., I know, to uh, in the new infrastructure bill. It includes some money for hydrogen. I was reading through it the other day, and I said, oh, this is interesting. And you and I were talking about it ahead of time, and you said, yeah, we worked to get that in there. One, one thing that we've seen is, uh, you know, we're, we're pro-battery electric. Uh, I mean, I think there's definitely a place for battery electric, but the battery electric conversation has been going on for about 10 years. And so, so it's 10 years ahead of fuel cell electric. And so I don't want to undermine battery electric. And so yeah. your friends uh, who <laughs> have their opinions about battery, uh, battery electric, you know, all, all good. You know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to argue that point, but I want to, I want to push hydrogen to, to get to the point where battery electric is, that'll bring prices down. And, and that, you know, the more diverse our fleets are, the better off we are when emergencies occur.
That's a really um, good point you make. Yes. Yeah. If you don't want to, maybe you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So, so yes, we've been advocating very strongly and there's been, the, because battery electric is so far ahead of uh, hydrogen in terms of the conversation there, there's a legislative tendency to talk about electric buses. And when they, and when they do that, they just talk about battery electric and they don't talk about fuel cell electric. And so we want to change the conversation to talk about, uh, uh, to include the, the fuel cell electric in that greater conversation. And so you did that in D.C. and got some help, get some money in the budget? Correct. We, we, we've seen that Lono uh, grants have, have really uh, favored battery electric. Um, and so it, it, they haven't been technology agnostic. And so we want to get more of a balance in there. And, and some of this additional funding that will be dedicated to uh, fuel cell uh, infrastructure and development and utilization is, is key. That's wonderful. Well, Karkanat, I wish you the very best. I wish I could attend. Thank you for the invitation to attend your event. I, unfortunately, I won't be able to make it, but uh, we are. I'm very interested to check back in with you maybe in six months and see you know, how it's going once they get on the road, uh, the acceptance of the public, the students, you know, and the operating costs, those kind of things. That'll be very interesting to see. Do you plan to do that analysis and maybe publish it in a year or two and let people see or speak yeah, at conferences sure. or something? Yeah. Yep. We love to talk about it. That's great. Well, thank you for talking with us today about it, Carl. This is great. And uh, best wishes as you continue to make public transit even better than it is today. Okay. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for being with us today on the Transit Unplugged News and Views podcast. And now for a look at the future of what we're doing here at Transit Unplugged. I'm excited to let you know that our Transit Unplugged podcast is a finalist for the podcast awards People's Choice Award. Very exciting. Actually, just this week recorded a uh, acceptance speech. Even before we know if we won, they asked us to so that they could surprise us if we do win. So happy that so many people around the world, now in 100 countries worldwide, are listening to news and information, inspiration from leaders, and as we spotlight best practices around the globe. We've got a great fall lineup for you uh, coming up, which I'm going to tell you about. And then uh, a new twist on how we're going to deliver the program. So next week, we have for you Women Leaders in Australia. This was an idea that was brought to me actually by one of the women transit leaders in Australia, who's a friend of mine, Magda Robertson. Although I've never met her in person, we've only talked a bunch of times, you know, on Zoom and Teams calls, but she's general manager of Torrens Connect, a rail system there in Adelaide. And uh, she suggested, Paul, you know, I've got some good friends who are leaders in transit here in Australia. We'd love to get together on a panel and tell you about what we're doing here. And I said, great, that sounds great. So Sam Abidira from uh, New South Wales Transit, who I had actually talked to a couple of times recently, is also on the program. She's awesome, talking about how they're moving toward integrated transit there. Uh, Michelle Batsis, a good friend who is executive director of UITP in Australia, a real um, leader when it comes to transit, has her own podcast there. And we're going to co-promote these, I think, this program on both of them. And then Catherine Baxter, the Chief Operating Officer of Metro Trains Melbourne. Uh, kind of a nice tie-in with Julian DeHorney, who is CEO of Yara Trams in Melbourne, uh, who we had on um, a week ago. So that show is coming up on the 29th. You've got to listen to it, share it with your friends, let your friends know it's coming. It's one of the most outstanding panels we've done in a long time. Then the week after that, we have David Harris, Director of Transit and the Rail Division of the New Mexico Department of Transportation. He tells you about how they operate statewide transit there and what they've done with some of the new funding that we talked about in the first segment. I think you'll find that fascinating. 
And then finally, on the 13th of October, because we do bring you a new program every Wednesday, uh, we're doing a Nashville roundtable with Steve Bland, the executive director, and his executive team. But we did something new and different. You may have seen I traveled there recently. If you follow me on LinkedIn, and I encourage you to if you don't, because I put up lots of good and best information about what's happening in our industry. I traveled down there to meet with them uh, a couple weeks ago, had a great visit, and um, it has been something I've been wanting to do since before COVID. Before COVID, as you know, I traveled around the world. Trapeze, who sponsors this program, you know, sent me around the world to 60 different transit systems from Australia to the United Kingdom, to Europe, to Canada, and uh, all over North America. And I think I, you know, I visited about 60 different systems during that like two and a half, three years uh, in person. Not only did I get to meet the executives, but I usually got to go into their operations control center, which I love to do in a lot of places. I met with the staff, got to teach them classes, got to learn from them what they're doing, their best practices, and uh, and eat food, eat their local you know delicacies and all that kind of neat stuff, and and see some of the sites in the town, almost like an Anthony Bourdain transit. Uh, Anthony Bourdain, but a transit show instead of a food show. Uh, and I've actually been fascinated by a lot of what Anthony Bourdain did in his travel shows and his books um, and been reading a lot of them lately, actually. And I'm wanting to, I've been wanting to do something like this with our podcast, but because of the pandemic, we couldn't travel. Well, now that it's loosening up some and travel restrictions are loosening, uh, at least here in the U.S. for us, uh, we've decided we're going to give it a shot. And so we started with this trip to Nashville, where I met with them, as I mentioned. And not only if we turn this into a video television show, uh, it not only would it include the traditional audio podcast, which we will continue, Transit Unplugged will continue, you know, unabated as it currently uh, runs every week, a new show. But we're also going to add to, uh, you know, the universe of Transit Unplugged, how we've expanded the brand and extended our brand. Uh, we're going to be doing these video programs where we go on site to a transit system, really get to see and taste the city a little bit, right? We'll take transit leaders, uh, have a meal with them, talk to them maybe more casually about their life and what they're doing over a meal. You'll get to see some of the local food and, and local sites. The transit system is providing um, kind of B-roll, as we call it in the industry, where you show some of the buses and the uh, the transit stations and mechanics working and, you know, bus shelters that they're proud of and maybe some of the new type of technology they have, in addition to interviews, not just with the CEOs, but also with some of their executive staff. And that's exactly what we did in Nashville. I really want to thank their local video team who helped put this together. Uh, we are in the process of editing it now and hope to have it out for you soon. We'll do a big announcement when it's coming out. Uh, and it is kind of something exciting to do uh, in preparation for our fourth anniversary which is coming up in November. And so what we've got coming up next is we've got the Nashville show, which will be video out to you before the end of fall is our game plan. And then in October, I'm planning to visit Las Vegas and meet with the CEO, MJ Maynard and her senior team, do the same kind of thing in Las Vegas. Where we film some of the transit system, what they're doing, some of the cool things. I mean, there's so many cool things happening, not only in Nashville, but in Vegas, um, just phenomenal. And bring it to you in a video form as well as audio. And then we're going to go down in November for our big fourth anniversary show and big blowout. And we're going to have a phenomenal uh, live CEO panel at the Trapeze booth on the expo floor in Orlando at the American Public Transportation Association's Triannual Expo, where we expect thousands of people to be. And I thought, you know, the, uh, the Women Leaders in Australia show was so impressive. I was so inspired by that. I thought, why not do something like that here for the U.S.? So many of the recent CEO appointments in cities 
you know, around the country, major cities like Dallas and others have been uh, women leaders, Denver, Los Angeles, et cetera. So we've invited a bunch of them to come. Several of them have already committed. I'm not going to tell you who yet. We're going to keep that uh, for a little bit longer. I have teased you on that for now, but some awesome leaders are going to be on this live event. And we're going to audio tape it and film it for a special fourth anniversary Transit Unplugged podcast and video show, uh, television show. Can't wait. Plus, we'll bring you some of the other sights and sounds of the expo uh, and um, maybe some input from some other transit leaders and some surprises for you on that show as well. So very excited. Hopefully we got one lined up each month for the next three months. Uh, these The television show, Transit Unplugged television show. I don't know if you saw, but the version of the Discovery Channel in Australia recently did something you know very similar, but really professionally done uh, for the transit system there in Australia, kind of digging through the tunnel in Sydney and all that stuff. Howard Collins, my buddy, was involved in that. And uh, I that also inspired me to we need to make this happen here in North America as well and do a program that can inspire people around the world from what we're doing, transit leaders are doing here, and the systems are doing uh, in North America. And hopefully we'll expand that to around the world once we can start doing international travel again. So that's what's coming. Uh, wanted to let you know about it now before it comes to you so you can start getting ready for it. If you have any questions, you know you can always email us uh, and, and ask questions, or if you want to volunteer your local transit system to be to host us and to have us come in and um, and you know shoot a video there. Let us know and we'll analyze that and see if we can make that happen. That's it for today. Thanks so much for being with us today on the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Stay safe out there. <laughs>